All right, here we go for another journey with Jesus. The incredible parables, the earthly stories with heavenly meanings, those incredible, unbelievable times when Jesus sits down so intimately with small groups of people, with a handful that he's trying to instruct very often, sometimes with masses, but very frequently, as is the case in our parable tonight. If you turn to Luke chapter 7, we'll pick up in verse 36. And the parable of a single creditor and two debtors. And as we begin this particular parable, I would simply ask you a question. Because many people are like this, and and you might imagine, as Jesus has continued his ministry in the region of Galilee, as he has spoken in in various climes, he's been in those places where there's been massive crowds, he's been with single individuals. But the public teaching of Jesus was very clear, it was very concise, it wasn't hidden. And as he did these things, he did almost every bit of it in a way that at some point in time there could be public dissemination of the information. And it's very true with this one, even though this happens to be a fairly private gathering that we're going to come to tonight in a Pharisee's home. But perhaps you, like so many people, have come up kind of with a graduated list, if you will, of your 25 most evil sins. (laughs) Almost. Sneezing when you're teaching is one of them. But many people do that. And they actually look at sins in a sense like, Let's call murder the number one sin. And maybe down here at the bottom, maybe bitterness. And we look at those sins, in essence, having some kind of relative worth with regard to relationship to God. In other words, if someone's just a bitter person they're actually more okay with God than someone who's a murderer. Or if somebody's just kind of every once in a while angry, they're better off than somebody who's an adulterer. Or if you take somebody who's got a little bit of a problem with greed, they're obviously much better off than someone who's a thief. A vast majority of Christians actually think this way. But the truth is, there's no such thing in heaven. Because as far as God's concerned, the smallest amount of bitterness that is sin is just as eternally deadly as the biggest murderer who's ever lived. You're not getting into heaven with a little tiny tad bit of unresolved bitterness any more than you are with mass murder. Neither one is acceptable in the sight of the Lord. 
and both of them take the exact same grace. There's grace for the murderer and there's grace for the bitter person. There's grace for the adulterer, the adulteress, and there's grace for the angry person. But God's grace has to be accepted. And God's grace has to be taken in. And there needs to be a sense of repentance that I'm wrong and God's right about that issue. But mankind very often has a list of what we kind of conservatively would say are acceptable sins. There's no such list. From A to Z, from 1 to 1,000, God can't dwell in the presence of any sin, of any kind or any amount. And so tonight in this parable, we find Jesus speaking of a single creditor and a couple of debtors, and he sets the stage in verse 36 of Luke 7. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we have again gathered together Uh, much like the disciples gathered together very often with you. Jesus, we want you to speak to us. We desire to hear your voice and for you to impart truth to us. And so, Lord, as we study your word, could we sit in on a heavenly conversation? Would you bless us with your presence here in this place? God, as we look forward to starting our, our work week tomorrow, Lord, we need you to speak your truth into our lives. Pray now that you would bless us. Give us understanding. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to the church. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Notice here in verse 36 of Luke 7, and then one of the Pharisees, and remember Jesus is constantly uh, dealing with the Pharisees, we've pointed out frequently and often that they rather represented the legalistic side, the, the side of the law. They were very good about rules, very good about regulation. They, they tried to govern virtually everything. And to them, religious fervor and doing things correctly was far more important than having the right heart in anything. And so Jesus speaks to a Pharisee that's uh, in the crowd as that Pharisee asks him a question. And then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now, this is a strange thing. It kind of shows a little bit of openness, at least, in the life of this Pharisee, or perhaps it shows a trap. Maybe like so often the rest of the Pharisees, as they would attempt to entrap Jesus with his words, maybe he was looking for that. But there seems to be a little bit of openness here with this particular Pharisee. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. Now, conspicuously, if you understand uh, Oriental hospitality, basically what just transpired doesn't normally happen. It wouldn't be something to where someone would come to your house and they would just simply sit down to eat. There would be normal hospitality afforded you. Your feet would be washed. Very often you yourself would be washed, you would be greeted, very often kissed, sometimes anointed with oil. There would would be a welcoming that would happen. And so this whole story starts out on a rather dry note. And behold, 
a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, we're not told directly what the sin of this woman was, but it's fairly clear from the language used that she was likely a prostitute. She was known in the city. You see, it basically didn't talk about the ladies in the city. That was taboo. And men certainly didn't mingle with ladies in the city, nor would they know about any ladies in the city unless there was a problem with the lady in the city. And so she was known, and for that reason, we believe she had an issue with sexual sin. And when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now you have to picture this, because when we talk about a house, most of us live in a home where there are many rooms in our homes. Uh, We usually have a dining room, and we have a living room, and we might even have a den. We certainly would have a kitchen. We normally would have bedrooms. We may have spare bedrooms. We might have a home office. There's all kinds of things in an American home. In this day and time, the home also included the courtyard. And if you were going to gather a large gathering, chances are that this may have actually been outside because very few people, even the Pharisees, would have owned a home large enough to have a gathering of people inside. And what would normally happen is people would gather around on the outside of the event and they would listen in because there was no national inquirer of that day. And so this was kind of the way people got in the know about what was going on in their community. They would come to the outside wall of an area that was normally what we would call maybe a patio. And the the homes were not, by any shake of the imagine, airtight. They weren't as ours are now. They didn't have soundproofing in the walls and insulation. There were holes in them. So if they were inside even even though they were inside, likely you could have heard everything was going on. And so she hears that Jesus has been invited. She listens to this invite, and now she knows where Jesus is, and she, in essence, invites herself. Because the Pharisee would not have invited her. The fact that it's known who she is, what she does, what's going on in her life, the Pharisee would have said, no possible way is this woman going to be in my house? But because Jesus is there, it would have been courtesy to allow her to come and at least be a part. It would have been hospitality. She wouldn't have gotten an invite, but once she got there, she would have likely been allowed in. And so she comes with a flask of fragrant oil. You see, very often we we set ourselves up to think that we're the the dispensers of God's grace ourselves. And we have a list of those whom we would find acceptable to issue grace. And very often in some circles you'll hear people, well, you know, you don't want to share the gospel with that guy or that girl because it's pearls to swine, bro. You know, obviously they're so messed up. You don't want to share the gospel with that person. You you don't want to waste your time. They're obviously so entrenched in sin that if you were to share those, they'd fall on deaf ears anyway. Brothers and sisters tonight, can I really strongly encourage you? Don't be dispensers of God's grace that way. You dispense the grace. You let God decide what he wants to do with it once you've dispensed it. 
It's what Jesus does. He didn't pick and choose. He hung around with publicans. He hung around with tax collectors. He hung around with sinners. Sometimes he was around saints. But he universally preached the same message to every last one of them. You see, Jesus is going to overlook the flavor. He's going to overlook the magnitude of the sin. He isn't going to buy into our little list-keeping. And let me share with you why this is so very important. If you're here tonight and you are married, if you're here tonight and maybe you're looking to get married, one of the things that love does not do is keep a record of wrong. Amen? And yet how many times that list is a graduated list and it starts at a 1 and it goes to a 2,514? And you begin to dispense grace based on where you think you are in relation to someone else's list. And your grace dispensing to your spouse can be, well, when he earns it or when she earns it or when they finally get to my level. When you remove these top 14 sins, then we have something to talk about. Can I tell you that God never did that with you? And never will do that with you. His grace is available to all 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, no matter where you have been, what you have done, or even what you might do in the future. Does he want us to change? Yes, he does. But he does not withhold his grace because of where we are. The grace is still there. It cries out to us from the cross of Christ. And so if you're married, be very careful that you're not like this Pharisee. Because the Pharisee was basically saying, well, you know who she is. I would never sit down with that person. You see, our little lists, God does not keep. Now, having said that, the consequences of certain sins are far more grave while you are here. The consequences of certain sins. If you run out and rob a bank, I can pretty much guarantee if you get caught, you're spending probably 15 to 20 years in a federal penitentiary. The consequences of that thievery is greater than if you go next door and you pick an orange off of somebody's tree and you get caught and they decide to be kind of not so nice about it. The earthly consequences are varied. But the heavenly consequences, they're the same. You see, the liar can't get into heaven any quicker than the person who is simply not trustworthy. Be careful. Any one sin of any flavor is sufficient to keep you out of the presence of God forever if you take it to heaven with you. If that's not covered by the blood of Jesus, if you're not walking in His grace, you're not getting in. So the same grace that saves the murderer saves the liar. 
It's the picture here. That debt's been paid. That's that, that's that word justification. You see, one of the parts of justification that we often miss is God is just. We like, we like to simplify it and say it's just as if we never sinned, and that's actually accurate, but it's not the whole story. The whole story is your sins were put on the back of Jesus and the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus because of your sin. Jesus was punished for your sin, all of them, every one of them, every flavor, every kind, every severity. And so don't think that because you've never committed a two that you're better off than someone who consistently commits ones. Don't think that because in your mind there's really not that much wrong with being potentially consistently angry with someone. That's not okay with God. And you are in no less trouble with God eternally as an angry person than you are as a murderer. You'll pay a bigger price for it here on this earth, but when you get to heaven, you're both going to need grace. And so in this parabolic vignette, this story, it's not found in any of the other Gospels. It's only found here in Luke. And I have no reason for that other than Luke being an attorney being one of those guys, or being a doctor rather, would have noticed the details. He would have seen the smaller things and some of the stories that Luke recounts for us. He does so often in greater detail, and this just happens to be one that he picked up on. Orchestrated, I believe, fully by the Holy Spirit. So we have a sinful woman and we have a scornful prostitute. You see, when we think about these things, ultimately... Uh, we, we all kind of have a tendency to say, well, you know, that person's really bad off. It's not so. It's not true. The scene here is a, is a Pharisee named Simon. And people often confuse this story with the story of Mary Magdalene. They, they kind of mix up their, their parables, if you will. And I, I do not believe this is Mary Magdalene. I believe it's a completely different woman. Some of the parts are similar. Simon is not one of the two Simons who were apostles. It's a very common name, much like we have common names in our day and time. And they're, they're now in Capernaum. Capernaum's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And if you were to read the rest of the chapter previously, Jesus has been over at this widow's house in the little town of Endor, Nain. And Jesus is about 22 miles away, so a, a good hard day's walk. And he could have been back to Capernaum, but now he's left This widow who had, remember, she only had one son, and and Jesus raised that son. Here's this weeping party that's going through the streets, and Jesus raises up this boy. And he's now gone back to Capernaum, and it almost seems as though this is anticlimactic, but not for Jesus and not for God's grace. You see, we would look at the miracle of raising someone from the dead, and we'd go, oh, that's really special. But every one of us has been raised from the dead. Amen? We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. You see, again, we look at the way God works and we almost make it seem as though it's not a miracle to save us. 
can I tell you that if you're here tonight and you're saved and you're going to heaven, it's a miracle. Because you've been raised from the dead. Amen? Don't forget that. Don't miss that. Because when you miss that, you, you start misunderstanding how badly you need grace. And I need grace. And we, as the church, need grace. Sometimes we, we kind of hold grace in a bucket. And it's like, well, I've got grace. The whole world needs the grace of God. Because it's the only way to pass from death unto life. And you see, the Lord knew that he was in hostile ground. He's with the Pharisees. They were proud, scornful, full of contempt. And that contempt surely would be focused not just on Jesus, but on the woman herself. But notice how Jesus has the same love for the openly sinful and for the scornful. You see, he treats them the same. We talk about sins being sins of commission, in other words, things that we do. And we talk about sins of omission, things that we fail to do. This Pharisee had already failed to do the right thing. And this woman had already done the wrong thing. And the same grace was needed for both. And so as we find this story unfolding, you you see the Lord kind of holds his peace initially in this story. In fact, it's not even recorded for us if Simon actually expressed hospitality towards Jesus or this woman. But normally they would wash your face, wash your feet, anoint you with oil, and they would put you at a, at a, at a dining area, normally a triclinium. It would be a, a, really a three-sided table that was open towards the door if they were indoors. And people would be reclining with their feet towards the wall and generally looking towards the center and normally towards the guest of honor. And, and so Jesus is resting on his left elbow, his feet pointed away from the table, and he's actually seemingly paying attention to the woman, and he's looking over his shoulder towards the Pharisee. He's actually giving attention to the woman, and he says, do you see this woman? And so as we pick this up, Remember what Second Peter declares to us there in chapter 3 and verse 9, for the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, amen? As some count slackness. You see, some of us think that because of 2,000 years of grace that, that the Lord's kind of, you know, wasting time or something, I guess. But he's long-suffering towards us, and he is unwilling. He's not willing. The Lord is completely, totally unwilling, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Whether you're a person who mostly commits sins of omission or commission or both, or whether you're here and you've got one, or whether you've got thousands. Jesus wants all to be saved. And so he looks at this woman. I believe Simon's invitation may have been sincere, if possible. But its plan's about to backfire as we move through it. And then one of the Pharisees asked to eat with him, and he went down to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, 
who knew that when Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought out an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And then verse 38, and she stood at his feet behind him. So now you can see that he's laying down. His feet are back there. It's the only way for your feet to be behind you. She's not even going to address you. She wouldn't dare come over and, and greet him, in essence, initially. She comes behind Jesus, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. Can you imagine this scene? Can you imagine this scene? You see, this is somebody who's, whose heart's already transformed. She recognizes who she is. She knows what she's done. She's been where she's been, and she's saying, look, I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. To as many as will come to him, he will in no wise cast them out. He began to wipe his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head. You, you talk about... A woman's hair was her, was her adornment. It was her decoration. It was normal that only the husband really saw the fullness of the beauty of the woman's hair. And so here's this woman so broken over her own place in this world. She's weeping at the feet of Jesus standing behind him, crying on his feet and taking her beauty and wiping the dirt off of Jesus' feet with her hair. And now you know why Scripture declares that he is near to those who are of a broken and contrite heart. That was this woman. She was tired of the life that she'd lived. She was willing to say, I want to change. And she kissed his feet. Uh, She didn't have a bottle of Purell with her. No hand sanitizer, no antimicrobial soap did she possess. She cried on Jesus' stinky feet from a 22-mile journey down a road that was dirt and had animal waste on it and mud and yuck. And she cries on Jesus' feet and then wipes those tears off with her hair and then kisses his feet. That's somebody who knows she needs Jesus. And then took this alabaster flask, and she broke it and poured out this oil. And it's very likely it was extremely expensive, probably the oil of the spikenard. It was probably worth... Months worth of wages. And to her, who knows what it was worth to her. May have been the most valuable possession that she had. But she knew all of her, for him, was worth it. Everything that she had, she was willing to give to Jesus, even though it was not much. And so Jesus begins to acknowledge this this kindness this gentleness, and her works proved where she was at. You, you see, sometimes we, we almost disrespect the role of works when we talk about grace because we're saved by grace, but 
true saving grace is also grace that works. And people will often come to me, well, how do you know? Well, in, in, in that sense, you know, God doesn't give us a certificate of salvation. You don't, you don't get a note from God from heaven and you keep it, you know, like we give out baptism certificates and you have marriage certificates. And we have certificates for everything. But you don't get one of those. But what you do get is a changed life. And that changed life begins to live so differently that the changed life is a certificate of what God has done. This woman's changed life signifies what, what's happened to her. She was a woman from across the track. She, she lived in the hood. She was someone from somewhere that no one wanted to be. But she knew she needed Jesus. Most men looked at her with a single motivation, and that motivation was lust. Most men couldn't care for who she was as a person. But Jesus didn't just care for her person. He cared for the very depths of her soul. And what she did testified of how she felt about the Lord. Does what you do testify about how you feel about the Lord? Where you are with the Lord? Why James said, I'll, I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, faith without works is dead. It's always been dead. If nothing happens, then nothing happened. If you can receive Christ and have no effect in your life, then you need to ask yourself a simple question. Did anything actually transpire? This woman, something transpired in her life. She was broken, she was humbled, and she was grateful. She was thankful. Pick up in verse 39 now, and we see this critical host. And now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, Man, if if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Do you see the list? Do you see what's going on in this guy's mind? Do you see how he ignores his own problems, his own issues? He looks past the fact that he's being critical. He looks past the fact that he's being scornful. He looks past the fact that this is a fellow member of the human species of like kind that absolutely needs a relationship with God. And yet he will look past that and only see her sin. Do you find yourself looking past people and only seeing their sin? If you do, be careful. Because you've got, you've got a time coming when God's going to show you you, and it won't be pretty. He's faithful to do that. Those of us in here that walk with the Lord for a while can tell you, probably not one of us that hasn't been faced with this dilemma, to where we look at other people and we more harshly judge them than we would ourselves. Oh, please, brothers and sisters, don't do that. Because when God spanks, he knows how to do it. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. I love that. Okay, she's a sinner. We get that part. We all know. Most of the people here, and we don't know what he was inferring by this, but we can take our guesses. 
And so he said, teacher, say it. Rabboni, rabbi, fellow teacher, speak it up. Tell me. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. And so you can see the parable unfold now. One owed 500 denarii. That's 500 wages that someone would receive for a day. So the better part of a year and a half's worth of wages. It's a lot of dough. It's a lot of cash. And the other 50, basically a month and a half's worth of wages. Also, a significant sum of money, but very much lesser, tenfold lesser, than the person who owned, owed the 500 And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Put yourself, interject you into the story at this point. You see, some of us are in one of those categories. Some of us maybe are in the other category. But all of us are somewhere between those two categories. Maybe your life has been filled with stuff, sin, gross, heinous, filthy, disgusting, things that don't honor God. And maybe some of you, you've been, you know, you've been okay. You've been kind of right along the edge. You know, you might even say, like the Apostle Paul did, look, I, I've kept the law. I'm good. But in that, you have the sin of pride arrogance, spiritual superiority, off-putting. He said, tell me therefore, which one of them will love him more? Check it out. Ask yourself that question. Which one's going to love Jesus more? Is it going to be the person who seemingly has very little to have forgiven? There's not a whole lot of debt. Or is it going to be the person who's massively indebted to the Lord Jesus? And there's a little secret truth here. They both have to be forgiven, don't they? Neither one of them can pay their own way. And Jesus is trying to teach him a truth. And Simon answered and says, and this is a correct rendering from the original language, I suppose, in other words, he's actually not sure, or he's not admitting to being sure, or perhaps he's looking at it and going, well, I, I don't really want to answer this, but I'm going to give you an answer, and I'm going to give you the one that I think you want to hear. I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus says to him, You've rightly judged. But the secret truth is they both had to be forgiven, right? They'd both be in trouble without the forgiveness of God. Neither one of them could have paid their own debt. They both needed to be forgiven. And so Simon's real issue here, and this is the issue with very many people, is not understanding the truth 
It's blindness to his own position in the truth. It's not getting what the problem is. It's looking past your own interjection into that problem. In other words, I've got an issue and I need to be forgiven. And unless God does that in my life, I'd be just as lost as the most horrific sinner that's ever walked the face of this earth. And so whether you owe a little or whether you owe a lot, the only difference between the two is somebody who's been forgiven much has more to be thankful for. And just so you don't get the wrong impression, Paul addressed what then should we go on sinning that grace might abound. Don't think that you need to build up your testimony, okay? Stay where you're at. You're good. You've got enough sins to cover. And so Jesus is saying to him, look, it's not the amount. It's the awareness of your sin. It's not how many of which ones you've done. It's do you recognize that you are a sinner? This woman did. But the Pharisee didn't. He completely missed it. They were both bankrupt. Neither one could pay their debt to God. Simon was just as spiritually bankrupt as the woman. Just as in need of grace. You see, what happens if you don't recognize this truth? Is you start treating people just like Simon the Pharisee. You look past your own stuff and you begin to focus in on other people. And you say, well, you know, at least I'm not like that. You lift your arms to heaven and say, God, thank you didn't make me like one of them. When in fact, God didn't make you sin at all. You chose to do that. Not a product of your environment, you're a product of your sin nature. And sinners sin. And that free grace, this woman accepts that offer of salvation. And at the same time, the Lord exposes the hypocrisy in this guy who's supposed to be religious. Isn't it weird how we look at people who are outwardly religious and we almost think they have a leg up in the sin category? It's like, I, I actually have had experiences in my life where people will come to me and go, well, I'm good because I go to church. Well, I, I, you know, I, I've been in the mission field. I, I tithe regularly. Strangely enough, I've actually had people come and try and buy my favor. Well, you know, I'll come to your church, and you know, I'm. They'll even tell me, well, you know, I'm a big giver. I'm just going. I don't care to know. Don't have any idea who gives what. Don't want to know what you do. That's between you and God. And whatever you do, you do before Him. So whatever it is, it's none of my business. But people think that because they look better than other people, somehow they're in less need of God's grace. Well, brothers and sisters... We all need God's grace every single day, every moment of every day. The Lord doesn't even attack Simon. He could, just on his bad manners alone. No water for Jesus' feet. This woman had washed him with her tears. 
no common courtesy of a kiss. This woman had kissed him repeatedly in the only place that she could reach, and that was his feet, the most filthy part of his body. You see, that's the difference between somebody who knows they need God's grace and somebody who doesn't know they need God's grace. That, that hasn't happened to, to Simon yet. He, he hasn't come to that place. A woman was ready to receive the mercy of God, grace through faith, and Simon thought he deserved the grace of God by his religion and through his works. And so in this particular parable, we see an interesting contrast. Notice verse 44, and we can wrap this up tonight. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon. So now, understand what he's saying. He turns his face to the woman, and he's actually speaking to Simon, whom he's not looking at. He turns his face to the prostitute, But he's really saying to Simon, do you see this woman? You see, because that was Simon's problem. He didn't see this woman. He saw a prostitute. He didn't see this woman. He saw someone who was openly sinful. He didn't see this woman. He only saw the woman's problems. He didn't see this woman at all. He could look right past this woman. He could look over, look beyond her, probably look right through her. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Simon, do you see this woman? You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. You see, she didn't want to impose upon Jesus, so she anointed the only part she could get to. She wasn't even worthy to come into the Lord's presence, so the Lord turns to her. We're not worthy to come into the Lord's presence. The Lord has turned and looked at you. The veil's been torn. What used to separate us now itself has been separated. And so in grace, the Lord turns to this woman who very obviously has got issues. The issue is not the issue. She's got issues. Simon, do you see this woman? This woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil, and therefore I say to you, her sins, which Simon, are a boatload. They're many. Her sins, Simon, which you probably know very well. The sins that you have listened to the community gossip about this woman. Her sins are many. But they're forgiven. For she loved much. You see, he, he turns the tables on Simon. He says, Simon, 
You're looking past the obvious. This woman gets it. You don't get it. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And again, Jesus isn't saying go go boost your testimony by doing evil things. But how many times do we look past the people whose sins are many? How many times do we explain away our own behavior because we think our sins are little? How many times do we make a judgment about someone's life based on our perception of what it is we think they have done? And Jesus says, this woman loves much because she's been forgiven much. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, you can almost see this whole conversation the whole time. He's looking at the woman, and within earshot of everyone else, he's looking into her eyes, saying, you get it, they don't, I'll talk to you. That's God's grace by the Holy Spirit being poured out into this world. It go, the message goes out, people hear it, but to those who engage, to those who are willing to look full in his marvelous face, to the ones who were able to say, yes, I'm a sinner, I repent, I need you. You see, to that person, the Lord speaks directly. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Notice what he says. Go in peace. This woman hadn't known peace. She didn't even know what peace was about. Yeah, she was guilty of the sins of commission. She had done all kinds of things that she wasn't proud of. But Simon was guilty of the sins of omission. He had known what to do and didn't do it. Both are guilty. Both need Jesus. I think you need to be careful here. This woman wasn't saved by her tears. She wasn't saved by her gift. She wasn't saved because of what she did for Jesus. She was saved because she recognized that she was a sinner and she needed a Savior. And she cried out to the Lord. And, and she proved the depth of that with what she did. That's all. Because saving faith is faith that also works. And if you want to be sure where you're standing with the Lord, it, it comes through changed lives. That's what happens. The more you're like Jesus, the more you can say you know him. We shouldn't think that lost sinners are saved by love either. It wasn't just simple devotion. It was recognition. She got it. I'm bankrupt. I can't take care of my own debt. And she had a big one to pay. Because Jesus said, I'll pay it. You see, God's grace is love that pays the price. God's grace is love that pays the price. It's his love poured out to us. A price was the death of Jesus, God's only son on Calvary's cross. Notice that Jesus didn't reject the tears, didn't reject the wiping of his feet, did not reject all that she had done, didn't say, well, don't do that. 
Jesus received that woman right where she was. We're not saved by faith plus works. We're saved by faith that leads to works. How did the woman know that her sins were forgiven? Well, duh. Word of the Lord. Jesus said so. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this man? It's God's only son. And because of that, Jesus got this unmerited, marvelous affection. Beautiful picture of what happens to us in God's grace. She repented of her sin, put her faith in Jesus. She had assurance in the words that he spoke. Her love was expressed in sacrificial devotion to him. And because of that, she could go in peace. You see, this whole story puts the grace of God in perspective for every last one of us. You see, some people are prone to think they don't need God's grace because they are so sufficiently better than everyone else who's in the room that somehow they qualify on the merits of love alone. That if God's a God of love, they're so much better than everybody else than they ought to be entitled to God's grace, his unmerited favor, basically just because of who they are. And Jesus says, oh no, that's not how it works. Even the Pharisees needed to receive that grace gift. As much as they knew about the law, as much as they could recount the Old Testament scriptures, as much as they understood, even about God's character, his nature. No doubt Simon could have run through many of the Psalms that clearly define how God works in this world, how how grace would come upon an individual, a human being, and yet it wasn't sufficient to save him. I want to close tonight with a very strange court case. It happened back in the 1830s. It was in the Central Circuit Court for the Eastern District of the state of Pennsylvania at the time. And it kind of gives this picture it was a court case against a man named James Porter and, and George Andrew Wilson. The April sessions of 1830 of that court, there were six indictments presented to and found by the grand jury against James Porter and George Wilson. They were arrested for mail theft and then jeopardizing the, le- the life of that mail carrier. And that crime had a penalty at the time It was death by hanging. James Porter, the information against him was sufficient to find him guilty, and he was actually hanged. After several changes in his plea and some additional testimony, the case was not so clear against George Wilson. But he did seem to be deserving of, of some judicial leniency. And after a time, actually in July, a few months later, President Andrew Jackson gave Wilson an official pardon. But insanely, because he felt that he was innocent, he wouldn't accept the pardon. The attorneys were baffled. They argued back and forth and finally made it to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Chief Justice at the time, John Marshall, handed down this decision. He said, a pardon is nothing but a slip of paper 
The value of it is determined by the acceptance of the person pardoned. And if it is refused, there is no pardon. George Wilson must hang. You see, some people are just like George Wilson. They think they're innocent enough to not need the pardon. They think that on the great list of sins, well, they've only got two 25s, a 23, and a 22 and a half. They don't have any ones, twos, threes, you know, no fives. The seven deadly sins, not, never done any of those. The things that God hates, nah, not me. They're just prideful and arrogant and bitter. And they have the right to that because they've lived the type of life that should leave you prideful, arrogant, and bitter. And so they refuse the pardon. Say, no thanks, don't need it. Because I'm good enough. You don't want anybody you know making that kind of a plea deal. Because in the end, you hang for it. Every last one of us needs God's grace. Whether you're a super sinner or kind of sort of saintly, you still need the same grace. Whether you're way over here and you haven't done too much that you could identify as wrong, or, or whether you're all the way over here and you've done everything that you can identify as wrong, you still need the same grace to get you home. Don't miss that. Don't be one of those people, please, that looks at other people and, and compares yourself to them. You look at yourself and compare yourself to a holy God who's perfect and who judges perfectly. And you're going to find out that you need God's grace. And it's the only thing that will fix what's wrong with us. And so when people ask you, you know, hey, I think I'm okay with God, you can tell them, well, you're probably not as vile a sinner as some of us, but you still need God's grace. Sometimes we let people off the hook. We actually let them think at times like they, they don't need the Lord. But somehow they are actually good enough to warrant a free pass. No, those are just George Wilson's. Those are people who think that they've earned it, but they haven't. I have the worship team come back up and I want to pray with you. We'll bring some pastors forward. Maybe you've been struggling with this, this area. Maybe you're judgmental. Maybe in your own life you've kind of had, you know, a tough time with, you know, how a murder. I, you know, I've actually had people complain that God would save certain types of sinners. I've had conversations with people, well, you know, no, God won't ever save that person. They're too vile. Can I give you a little secret from my own life? I not only believe God can save anybody and everybody, I pray in Jesus' name he does exactly that because I know where I'd be without it. You don't want to be that person that, that makes it your business of judging the person that comes into the situation in your life and says, wow, you know, why would you ever save him or her? 
we need to be grateful that he would save any of us. Amen? And so maybe you're here tonight and you've never met Jesus. You're going to get an opportunity to do that. We're going to sing just a couple of songs and we'll close in prayer. If you need prayer, just come on up. Leave your list here in God's house. Don't take it with you. Let it go. And start being a dispenser of God's grace all day, every day. Because that's what Jesus would do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for that immeasurable grace. Father, thank you that you look past our our stuff, Lord, that you look us in the eyes. God, that you would choose us, Lord, is mind-boggling. And so we ask, as we spend some time, a little bit of time in prayer and in worship, Lord, you'd set captives free. Lord, if there's somebody here tonight, and they've been, they've been keeping that big, long list of all the rotten things that their friend has done. Lord, maybe their spouse has done somebody in their life and they've been judging them by it, Lord. Would you help us all to put away our lists and just simply look at the face of our Savior Jesus and recognize without him we can do nothing. We can't save ourselves. And we thank you that it's only your grace that can do that. We love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We bless you. Thanks for loving us in spite of who we are. Thank you for transforming us, changing us, and making us, Lord, new creations in Christ Jesus. Keep doing that, please. We love you. We praise you. God's people all said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to worship if you need prayer. I'm going to come up in a couple of minutes and close. Be dispensers of grace. Amen.